Hello everyone, this is Gruesome Herzog's Horror Movie Review. My special guest today is the man, Bill Oberts Jr. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing pretty good, Gruesome, you know. Um, for a guy who kills people for a living professionally, I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm surprisingly peaceful. Yeah, um, you also were a uh, principal too, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I killed somebody in that one too. I, I'm not an attractive guy, and so I live in Hollywood, and Hollywood has two settings for men. Uh, the beautiful guys, uh, you know, they're sort of the romantic leads, and the rest of us were killers, so that's me. Okay, uh, Serena, so it's your birthday. Oh, by the, oh, it's actually your 18th birthday. Yes, a line from The Devil Within, one of my creepy roles. <laughs> this is cool. Uh, let me see, what, what else was good? That, oh, yeah. Uh, you can do me a favor and shut up. You remember that one? Is that that was close to Devil Within, right? That is from the Devil Within. Yes, indeed. It's so odd to hear your lines fed back to you by someone else. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's good. It's just the, the, the way you deliver the uh, the lines. It's unforgettable. If you want, uh, we can go ahead into the uh, dismal swamp. Mm-hmm. You got, Dale, you got my word on that. Dismal was a feature that we filmed in 2008 and um, has been running on Showtime this year and I think will be out on DVD later this year. It's from a group of filmmakers called uh, uh, group of filmmakers called Fear Makers and it was a very clever script, a little twist on the old you know kids out camping in the wood. It had a sense of humor about it, which is what attracted me to it and it was uh, really the first I did stage for 12 years in New York, Scott. So um, I didn't mess around with film until three years ago, and Dismal was really the first movie role that I did of any consequence. And it was lucky for me that the character was Dale. I'm from South Carolina, and um, Dale is this guy who talks like this. And I grew up with guys who love me. Hey, listen to me. I'm talking to you. Let me tell you something. That's the way they would talk. And so Dale was this kind of character. And he had all these great one-liners. He um, Dale is a cannibal. We all have our character flaws. Yeah. And Dale... Uh, uh, cooks one of the boyfriends of the girls and then offers it to them as dinner mixed with eggs and one of the girls rudely doesn't want it. <laughs> so Dale has this great thing which Buckley wrote where um, you know he says, you ungrateful bitch. Let me tell you something. Maybe back in your college you'd walk in the building get your fancy lattes and your gourmet coffees but you don't know nothing about the real world. Missy. And, yeah, he gets pretty upset oh, because they won't eat his food. So yeah, that's um, the, that was sort of my introduction into the world of playing these darker characters that I play. I moved out to Hollywood right after that, and I became sort of Mr. Creepy, and that's what I do out here. Is uh, uh, you know, this is the last week I was filming, and I talked to my mom, and she's like, "Oh, what are you doing today, honey?" And I'm, you know, you know, I got to kill a prostitute with an iron, so I got to go. <laughs> that kind of thing. She said, you know, Billy, don't you ever play anything nice? I go, Mom, they don't think I'm nice. You know, they look at my face. So, uh, But I'm, I'm very, very lucky to be working, and uh, I love the horror genre. I always have since I was a kid, so it's a pleasure to be talking to you. But thank you. And But see, you have the knack for it. See, some actors don't have the knack for that roles, but you have the knack. I mean, The Devil Within was a total twist, and I ain't going to say no more because a lot of people didn't see it. You know, you had two stories going there. Uh, you know, you're just... Dismal, I enjoyed from start to finish. That's all i got to say. It's a it's a very fun movie. Yeah, I look forward to it coming out on DVD so it can get a, a, a wider audience. 
It's a lot of fun. I, I've always enjoyed these sort of iconic horror characters who enjoy what they're doing. Um, I really love the original Nightmare because of that. Yep. Because Freddy had this sort of malicious glee. He, he enjoyed what he was doing. And then also, conversely, I've always really enjoyed the monster who has some humanity within him. Uh, all the old great universal monsters, um, you know, for the Wolfman and the Frankenstein monster. And that's what made them so iconic was they had a little humanity so I enjoy playing monsters, but I always like to bring a little bit of of humanity to them. You know, like in Dismal, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a comic scene because Dale is a cannibal and he wants them to eat their boyfriend. But on another level, he really is kind of hurt. He's twisted and he's insane, of course, right. but he's also hurt that they don't want to eat what he provided. Right. Uh, and so that gives it that little extra bit. And I tried to do the same thing in The Devil Within where I played this lecherous principal who may or may not be murdering his students. Um, you know, I had this scene where I'm in the office with the girl and, you know, being very lecherous towards her, and she leaves, and then the guy just sits down on his couch, and he's just sitting there for a minute. And I tried to bring a little bit of that moment of, uh, uh, a little bit of what it's like for him to be so delusional that he would think that this beautiful 18-year-old girl wants him. So I always try to bring in the humanity. Yep, and the one scene in Devil Within that people who see it I guess won't quite understand it at first because, as you know, in the beginning, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? The scene with you. Oh yeah, Serena. yeah, the opening scene. Yeah. Right. Now they have to realize. I mean, you know, what I'm talking about. I don't want to go into. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I, it's no secret because the opening scene is online. The scene opens with me um, having an encounter with a lady of the evening, which does not end well for the lady of the evening. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the way that the Devil Within opens. Yep. And that one is actually available now. Um, it's at Amazon.com. It's at Best Buy. It's at Walmart. And it will also be running on video on demand on one of the cable channels later this year, but I'm not sure which one. Well, actually, uh, Matthew William Dean sent me a copy, so I had that that's and I grand. watched it. That's grand. Matt Dean, is, uh, I just walked up to Griffith Park yesterday with him, and we were talking about a new screenplay he's working on. Matt is the writer of The Devil Within. Yep. He, yeah, he also produced it. He also was one of the producers, correct? That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, he sent me that, and then uh, um, playing Mark Twain. That's right, yeah. I did uh, theater for 12 years, and um, one of the things that I did to support myself was to play historical characters. And I toured around the country, and I played John F. Kennedy for several years, and I also played Mark Twain. I played Twain for many, many years, very near and dear to my heart. And I also played Jesus of Nazareth in a one-man performance. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's 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 one of the things that I've done on stage. It's a, it's completely different from camera acting, trying to hold an audience's attention when it's just you on stage. It's and completely different. Camera acting is a whole other skill. And you did stand up too. Mm-hmm. Yep, I have. I've done a stand up comedy show where I s sort of paid tribute to these great comedians from the 1960s, back when comedy was a little cleaner, and and I did. Uh, Bob Newhart, I did Rodney Dangerfield, and I did Woody Allen, who's wow. one of my favorites. That's a I also played a uh, tribute to Louis Grizzard, too? That's right. Uh, Louis Grizzard was a writer, and uh, he was from Georgia, and those who are not from the South may not be familiar with him, but if you're familiar with um, Garrison Keillor, who does Prairie Home Companion, he's sort of the Garrison Keillor of the South. Everybody who grew up in the South in the 70s, 80s, and 90s knows who Louis Grizzard was. And he died, and uh, he used to do these comedy tours. He was sort of the inspiration for Jeff Foxworthy and the blue-collar comedy. And so his family was looking for an actor to tour as Grizzard, and so 
I got the role of Grizzard, and I've been touring with him or as him for 10 years now. In fact, Lewis's voice is the voice I use for Dale in Dismal. Oh, wow. Grizzard's voice, his actual real-life voice, he, he was married four times, and he would say things like, I'm going to tell you something, I ain't going to get married again. I'm just going to find a woman I hate and give her a house. <laughs> that was his sort of comedy that's delivery. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the voice that I used for Dale, although he wasn't like Dale in any other way, but he probably liked the movie. I, you know, one of the things growing up in the South that I really, really love is the eccentricity of the people. And I think it helps me in playing all of these odd roles is that I grew up around people who were really eccentric. And I'm eccentric myself. I, I'm not comfortable around people who seem too normal. You know what I mean, right, Scott? Right, right, right. Are you the same way? Yes, yes. Yeah. If people have a little quirk in them, then I'm, I'm like, okay, I can hang around you because you're a little odd. Right. And I feel okay. But if people seem too perfect, too beautiful, too put together, and I can't sort of see any fraying around the edges, I'm not comfortable. And you feel like you're in a box. Yeah. So I, that's why I don't do the Hollywood social scene very much. Not that I'm in great demand on the party circuit, but when I do go to parties here, which you have to do because it's part of the job of being an actor, I always search for the people who are the oddballs. Okay. And those are the ones I really enjoy talking to. But I'm telling you something. Uh, last I heard, Dismal is in uh, England and Japan right now. Yes, and it's in Germany. The title in Germany is called Bleed. They always yep. change titles overseas. Yep. And so um, I, I have high hopes for Dismal. I, it's already gotten great exposure through Showtime, and I think when it gets out on DVD and people see it, that it'll it'll do a, a, a good job in getting the word out about fear makers the and, filmmakers they're a great group and the crew that was in the movie the actors and all are going to get some good exposure which they yeah. well deserved I hope so because you know I, I got to tell you that in, um, in independent film which is mostly what I do and most actors in Hollywood do indie films it's about 90-10 and 90% of the work that you do never gets seen because something happens and it ends up sitting on the shelf or the funding calls through it doesn't get distributed so you just you work as hard as you can, and you hope that something you do will get out there. But you never know what it is. Right. Um, did you see Paranormal Activity? No. No offense, but I have no need to see that. I don't know. I'm not much for ghosts and that stuff. I just okay. It, it's fine. I mean, it was a big hit movie. Yeah. yeah I know well, I met the girl who was in it. I met her in the grocery store here a couple blocks from my house. And I was like, oh, you know, I saw you in Paranormal Activity. And she, was, she told me, she said, yeah, it was the weirdest thing. She said, I found the role on Craigslist. She had to drive from L.A. to San Diego to do the movie. It cost her money to do the movie. They paid her $400 for the whole movie. That's for the whole thing. And it cost her almost a grand to drive back and forth and do the film. Oh. So three and a half years later, she's completely forgotten she's done it. Boom, there it is. She's a star, and she's in big things now. So you just you never, never know. Never know. No, exactly you don't. It's right. a crapshoot. Whole business is a crapshoot. But um, when I, like I told Jack, when I seen Dismal, that brought me down to the independent films. That started me looking for independent films. I've grown to love independent movie horror movies. There's People a can lot take of, chances in independent films. There's and, a lot of good yeah. ones. There's a lot of good ones out there that see. My whole goal for this podcast is to bring up bring out these independent you know low budget B movie bring them up to the surface so people who are listening to my podcast say oh let's give that a chance since he reviewed it let, let's go get it and watch it you know and that's what I've been that was my whole goal when doing this and it still is my goal it's great uh, it's great filmmakers would love you because uh, 
there's a lot of great independent films that are made that don't have a $150 million budget behind them, and so, you know, they they get seen by fewer people. So it's a, the, the publicity is appreciated. You're quite welcome. And, you know, Dismal, like I said, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a major success. Once it starts circulating out there and people start seeing, it's. I think it's it's going to start a whole new generation in the, in the movie industry. And I'm not just saying <laughs> great. that. Great. I'd love to play Dale. I'd love to play Dale again. I would love to. He he uh, he may or may not have perished in the film, and we don't know. But as you know, movie magic can bring back a character. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I brought that same conversation up and uh, horrifying yesterday. In <laughs> I was talking to Saponis and Buckley. I said, you know, no, I can't say what I said because we're on air. But exactly what you said. We don't know if he did or didn't. That's funny you said that. I said the exact same thing. I said, you know. I would love to see a part two. But. Yeah, definitely. He was, he was a great character to do. You know, Gary King, who directed that, yep. had not done a horror film. It was the first horror film that Gary did. Gary's a director who lives in New York. And uh, he treated these characters as real. And we talked about Dale before. And he said, you know, he said, Bill, I would like you to play Dale as if he, he is a cannibal, but he takes himself completely seriously, you know, not tongue-in-cheek. This is his life, and he's completely delusional. He's completely insane, of course. <laughs> but he doesn't think of himself as being a bad person. And so that's what made it really fun to play. And then Bo had written all of these great, great horror lines, these great iconic one-liners for Dale, yep. and it made him a really fun character. Yes, trust me. Plus, I had a very ba- very bad haircut at the time, and that helped, too, for Dale. That and a wife beater and buckets of blood, and, you know, there you go. Now, do you got any tidbits, like like behind-the-scenes, interesting, funny stuff? While making it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There is a scene um, in which I lick a girl's face. And uh, when you see the movie, you, you don't know when it's coming, so I haven't spoiled anything. But this was because um, we were doing this scene, and it was a particular reaction that they wanted from the girl. <laughs> and so Gary King, who was the director, came to me. And he said, you know, there are two ways I could do this. I could, like, have a conference between you and the actress and me, and we could work this out, or you could just lick her face. Because I think if you lick her face, I'll get what I want. And I was like, Gary, I'm not going to lick her face. And he said, no, you just just do it. And so he went over to her, and he said, Bill's going to do something, but he's not going to tell you what it is. Is that okay with you? And she was very professional. She said, oh, it's just fine. You know, whatever whatever gets the reaction is fine. But she did not anticipate that I would lick her face, so that's the take they used. We only did it once. Oh, really? And her scream was so horrifying, and her repulsion was so complete that it really, <laughs> really worked. And I can still taste her hairspray on my tongue. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, that's, that's the only girl's face I've ever licked, but, man, do I stroke hair a lot. I'm going to tell you, there's something about a creepy-faced guy stroking a beautiful girl's hair. Oh yeah, Hollywood loves it, baby. They love it. That Every sense. time I'm on set and I'm, you know, playing a killer or a deranged monster of some sort, and it's a girl, the director always says, "Okay, stroke her hair." It seems to be a big thing. The love, hair stroking. I love the one scene. Um, there's two scenes. Filmography. What does that exactly I mean? I understand that small roles, but not all of them are small roles. So why is it in the same list? Um, are you looking on IMBD? Yeah, either or. Wikipedia yeah. the same way. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, Tim Pistols was a short that was done way, 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 way back when. I think that might have even been late 07 or early 08. 
Um, it was an interesting idea for a feature, which never happened. A lot of shorts are meant to sort of give ideas for the features, and this one was that uh, there was this very, very high-stakes uh, poker game, and that uh, this kid was lured in, and he lost all of his money, he lost everything he had. And then this beautiful woman comes to him, and she says, I can help you win back your money. And she takes him out to this abandoned airport hangar, and there are ten pistols laid out on the table. One of them is loaded. Oh Nine God. of them are not. He has to choose one pistol, place it to his head, and pull the trigger. If he chooses the correct pistol, he gets back all of his money. If he doesn't, of course, it's oh. irrelevant. And so that that was the premise of that, that short um, and, it, you know, these ideas float around for years and years, and it may yet come back as a feature. Maybe somebody will hear it now and think it would be a good feature, exactly. but I thought it was a pretty pretty cool idea. That would be a pretty interesting movie. And I played a bad guy, of course. Oh. Always the bad guy. <laughs> Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Uh, let's see. We have um, Grilling Bobby Hicks. Yeah, Grilling Bobby Hicks is a comedy uh, that was done in the South, and it's about Southern people. Uh, it's a pretty funny idea. Uh, and it was that this uh, bastard of the town who everybody hates, who wasn't me, oddly enough, big oh. fat guy, he's found grilled on his own barbecue grill. Because um, oh. in the South, the man's barbecue grill is sacrosanct. I don't know what it's like in um, Pennsylvania there where you live, but, I mean, people have barbecue grills. They pull behind their car in the South, and they've got blinkers on them, you know, and bumper stickers and overhead lights, and it's a huge deal. Oh, wow. So this guy's famous for his barbecue, and he's found grilled, and it's Who Grilled Bobby Hicks. That's the title of the, oh, that's okay. the idea. And I played an old uh, old Southern man named Old Man Wampler. The old Man Wampler, he talked like this. He said, again, let me tell you something. Another variation of the people that I grew up with. That's the thing about growing up in a small town. You meet all these eccentric people you can later use. Exactly. I'm working right now on Pirates of the Caribbean 4. Um, which is filming out at Universal. They filmed most of what's called principal photography, was done in Hawaii with Johnny Depp and the stars, and now they're filming what's called second unit, which is parts of the film that do not include them, and they're being done at the Universal backlot on the lagoon. Oh. And I'm working that as one of the pirates. Uh, so it's a fun part about being in Hollywood. You get to do pretty cool stuff. I worked on Priest, the movie that will be coming out soon. Yeah, I read that. So, yeah, 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 it's um, it's fun in addition to all the independent stuff that you do. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. There's a couple more movies here that I've been, I've been wanting to ask you. I've seen you talking about it. Uh, one, this one you weren't talking about recently, but Forfeit of Forfeit of Grace. Yeah, Forfeit of Grace is a short that's won a lot of awards um, that was done by a film student. That's another great thing about being in L.A. for an actor is there's so many film schools here. These kids come out of film school, and you don't know who's going to be the next Steven Spielberg. Right. So you work with them, and um, Forfeit of Grace was a short film about a man who's just been released from prison, and he's looking for redemption. He has his relationship with his daughter really sucks, and he ends up at this motel where a bad guy, me, is holding a little girl hostage, and so he has this opportunity to do the right thing, maybe at the risk of his own life, and help this little girl and receive atonement in his soul for it. Um, and it's a short film, like 22 minutes. But it's won a lot of awards. So now, these short films, are they hard to come by? I mean, hard to find? You know, they are because they get made and they go to film festivals and they win awards at film festivals. But to actually get distribution beyond the film festivals, that's where the bugaboo is. That's, yeah. I've often thought, you know, Scott, that there should be somewhere online 
where people can upload short films because I would love to go and watch short films from all over the world. Yeah, really. Particularly horror films, the short film format, it's kind of like a Twilight Zone episode. You know, you give a guy 25 minutes and say, scare me. I, I would love to watch those. I watch them whenever I can online, but they're not as available as they should be. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Wesley. Yeah, Wesley was the life story of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. And um, I played a good guy in that one. I got to play a minister named Peter Baylor, who was a German minister who helped Wesley um, kind of find his faith when he when he was losing his faith and helped him write a famous hymn, which is called Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Tell My Great Redeemer's Love. And uh, Wesley is being released now. It's on. It's re- being released to churches right now, and hopefully yeah. it'll get wider release. And a, a guy named uh, Burgess okay. Meredith. Uh, uh, excuse me, I don't mean Burgess. I mean Burgess Jenkins. Yeah who's from North Carolina, and he plays John Wesley, and most people know him from um, Remember the Titans, was his big movie. Ooh. Desert Sun, we talked about earlier. That's the one I want to see. Desert Sun, big hit on the festival circuit. It's a feature. Um, it's looking for distribution right now, and it's a story of um, a stepfather who abandons his son in the desert. I'm the stepfather, of course. <laughs> and I dumped my son off in the desert, and he's alone in the desert, and he has to make his way, and he meets up with these kids who live in the desert, and the activities they get into are pretty horrific. Now, um, have you it, seen the it, album cover for that, I mean, the DVD cover for that movie? I have, yeah. That makes it look creepier. Yeah, it is. It, it is a rather creepy film. It's um, I, it, it reminds me of the film The Outsiders from the 80s. It's, I think it has the potential to be an iconic sort of teenage horror film. But, you know, it's... And if you're not in the industry, people don't realize, because I tell them these films that I work on, you know, oh, I never heard of that, oh, I never heard of that. You would be amazed at how many good and even great films are made here in Los Angeles. People love them. They get rave reviews. They play in theaters here. And then you never see them outside of Los Angeles because it takes so much money to distribute a film. That's so. It takes so much money make DVDs and to market them that I you know I really think there needs to be some new way for people to see movies because a lot of these are never going to go to the theaters but I hope that internet reaches the stage where people can more easily watch movies online now I, I think if I'm mistaken I don't want to pull out any uh, use any advertisement on my page on my podcast but I think Fearnet is now streaming movies on their website now I think you're right, because I watched a trailer this morning for a really, really great movie called King of the Vampires, um, which uh, somebody sent me on Facebook, and I watched it on FearNet. It was a hellacious trailer. It was a vampire who has absolutely no mercy. He's walking through a swamp. He's stalking this naked chick covered in blood. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the way it ought to be. (laughs) You know, forget your Twilight vampires and your... Your little soulful, sparkly boys. Give me a vampire with some fangs, man. Right. Rock and Roll the Movie. Rock and Roll the Movie is a comedy, and it's made by a guy named Darren Daller. Uh, Darren lives and works in Branson, Missouri, and he has made his living by helping these older um, singing groups come back, like the Righteous Brothers, for instance. Well, there's only one Righteous Brother left. Right. The other one's dead, and so Darren is the other Righteous Brother. Darren is also the lead singer of Paul Revere and the Raiders. Um, and he's a lot younger than all the people in the group. And so he wrote this this movie about a um, 
washed-up rock and roll star from the 80s who has one chance to come back. And it was a vehicle for him to use a lot of his songs. Um, and it's a funny movie, too. And it's also finished and looking for distribution. There's so many great films that are, like, looking for the right place in the marketplace to get out there. That's the problem, because from what I've been hearing for some of these independent films, it's not the problem. Well, some of the problem is money-wise, but the problem is you have distributions fighting over who's going to release the movie, and it can take two to three years for it even gets released on DVD. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, I've also talked to, uh, just yesterday, I talked to Matt Dean, and we're walking up to Griffith Observatory in Griffith Park, beautiful view of L.A., but we were talking about this problem because he and I both know directors who have never gotten one cent, even though movies have sold hundreds of thousands of copies because the distributor either doesn't pay or goes out of business or disappears or you know the distributor says, oh, well, my overhead costs were you know ridiculously high. Yeah, it's really tough. If I made a movie, Scott, I think I would try to try to distribute it myself. But again, that takes money, yep. too. So you know, who knows? And the nobody make <clears throat> nobody makes money in this business. There's one percent of the people in this industry who make money. The rest of us do it because we love it. And and the ones that make it are the big names. But then, like I had this discussion before, a lot of these big names. It, be honest with you. A lot of these big actors are in movies that, one, I have no interest in seeing, and two, they ain't no good. Well, i got to tell you, man, I, I'm with you, and I, I think that my tastes are kind of lowbrow, because when I go see a movie, I want something to happen in it. Right. Like, I want to know what's going to happen. Okay, well, these chicks are going to sit around talking. Well, I'm really, I'm not interested. I don't mean to sound like I have no sophistication, but I'm just not interested. i got enough of that going on in my life. You know, if there's a movie where you say, okay, there's this guy and, you know, he's uh, he's a cannibal and he, he lives in the swamps and he's co-eds, okay, then, yeah, I'm interested. Right. right. <laughs> but that's the kind of movie that if you take it to Hollywood and you put $100 million behind it and get a big-name director, they're going to load it down with so much crap that has nothing to do with the, the reason the movie's great that by the time it comes out it won't even resemble what it should and sorry that's exactly my soapbox don't mean to be preaching well you're exactly right because I mean a lot of these actors big names Mickey's boohoo dollars don't want to do certain roles so yeah. you know, they'll, they'll, they'll cater to them and cha make changes in the movie here's a question to you before I go to the last movie that I'm really interested in seeing um, I was talking to Jack the other day and, and I said Jack I said you name me two top-notch horror movies this year that's worth seeing. And there only, in my eyes, there only is two. What are they? Nightmare on Elm Street mm -hmm. and, and The Crazies. Mm -hmm. Most of the horror movies that I watch now are either independent or low-budget because if, if a horror fan wants to watch a movie, they're going to be dead before they even see ten of them. Yeah, that's right. So that's why... I enjoy what I do, and I enjoy watching what I watch, and that's, you know, it sounds cynical or however, but if I'm going to watch a horror movie, I know where to go. You know, I, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Um, I just, I feel the same way about Grindhouse movies, which is a genre that I really like. Me too. And I, I did one called Nude Nuns with Big Guns. That's what I was going to ask you about. Go ahead, man, because I, I think it's a great, great idea. Go ahead. I'll shut no, up. No, Nude Nuns with Big Guns. Now, is, is that, <laughs> now, you're... Are you finishing up with that? I think I think you said, or is it done, or is it? When yeah, is that one's done. That one's going to be seen. I'm 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 sure that I'm sure Dismal's going to get out on DVD. Devil Within's already out there, and I know Nude Nuns is going to be seen. 
one of the best titles I've ever heard. When I saw the character breakdown, Nude Nuns with Big Guns, I said, man, I hope there's a role in here for me, because I love that title. So do I. Uh, it's done by a, um, a little company out here called Freak Show Entertainment, and this is what they do. They do these sort of grindhouse movies. Their last movie was called Run, Bitch, Run. I've seen that one. <laughs> okay. They, <laughs> I've seen they spent it. more money on this than Run, Bitch, Run. Yeah. But it's, it's like a comic book, Scott. It's, it's, uh, in, the, in this world, this corrupt clergy, these priests, are forcing these nuns into prostitution and making them uh, also, you know, pack cocaine. And so one of the nuns named Sister Sarah, she breaks loose from them, and she gets a hold of an arsenal, and she's out on a holy mission of revenge. It's a great movie. <laughs> I love it. It's a great I movie. Love it. And, man, I want to tell you, when Sister Sarah appears in this virginal white nun outfit with these guns strapped to her wrist, it's hot. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's hot, man. And it also has, you know, like Bo Buckley wrote these great uh, lines for Dismal. Um, the writer of New Nuns with Big Guns, Robert Hayes, did the same thing. Uh, Sister Sarah walks into a confessional, and on the other side is one of these priests that used to abuse her, and he doesn't know it's her. And he says, how long since your last confession? And Sister Sarah says, I'm not here to confess sins, Father. And then you hear the shotgun, I'm here to commit them. Oh, my God. And she blows him. <laughs> Literally, he comes flying out with the wood splintered. He's blown away right out of the confessional. She gets in a muscle car, and she drives away through the desert. Oh Hello, that's a great movie. Awesome. You got got my attention peaked now, see? But Hollywood wouldn't make it, man. Hollywood would not make this movie because they'd say, oh, nude nuns. You know, it's just too controversial. We have to clean it up. We're going to put Meryl Streep in it. And then it would suck. Let's just keep making fucking love stories. Thank you. So this movie is going to play. Quentin Tarantino bought a little theater here called the New Beverly Cinema. And it shows mostly these kind of wild, outrageous Grindhouse pictures and um, Nude Nuns is going to have its premiere there later this year, and I'll bet you it's going to get out nationally, too. Yeah. I have a bunch <laughs> of grind houses that I have to watch. See, I can tell everybody else, I have a stack of movies that's ridiculously crazy. <laughs> I mean, I buy them, and, and I just let them stack here, and then, you know, I can only, with working and, and taking care of my grandkids, yes, I have grandkids. I have seven at 42 years old, yes. You can laugh now. But... It's hard to try and watch movies and do everything. So, hey, the longer I take to watch them, I'll never have nothing to watch. I tell you, uh, you know, I, I like a movie that if I'm going to the kitchen to make a sandwich, I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. Yep. That's the kind of movie that I want to watch that I'm really excited exactly. about. Exactly. And I, I can't wait for Nuns to come out. Um, I die twice in it. Uh, In the first five minutes of the film, I get beat to death naked with a baseball bat. Again, with a prostitute. I'm always with the prostitutes. Uh, But there's gunfire, and there's nuns, and there's cars, and there's a Mexican motorcycle gang. A buddy of mine plays a character named Chavo. And if Chavo talk like this, Chavo says, Oh, you you take Chavo, huh? You think you can take Chavo? It's great. It's 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 a great, outrageous... A film that has nothing to do with reality, and I think that's what movies should be. But yes. that's just me. That's what. See, when I watch a movie, the ones that really appeal to me the most are the ones. If you watch them, it can easily happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the ones that really like dismal can easily happen. You know. Yeah. Resurrection County can easily happen. Mm-hmm. So, now is there anything that you want to talk to the people about? What's up and coming that you're working on? 
Well, you know, what I think a lot about, um, and, and I was talking to Matt Dean who wrote The Devil Within about this yesterday, is I'm, I'm, I'm really interested. Maybe you can run some kind of a poll or something on your site or something. What frightens people today? What are we scared of as a culture, Scott? And what I mean is, I mean, I know that we're scared of each other and people with knives and we cut each other up. Right. But And I go back to these old universal horror monsters. There was this part of humanity in each of these monsters that kind of frightened us. You know, in Dracula, it was the lust. Uh, in Frankenstein's monster, it was the brutality. In the Wolfman, it was this, um, you know, idea that at any moment we could become a monster. But most of the horror films made today are just about people cutting each other up. Right. And so what I'm wondering is, what are we scared of? In the middle of the night, if you wake us up at 2 a.m., what can wake us up in a cold sweat? Because that's the next great horror trend, I think, is the person who can discover that in modern society. What are we, what are we afraid of? A whack job and don't know it. You know, I have my grandkids outside, run, you know, outside. You know, it just it's freaky. Do you think that we are crazier now than we were back in the days of, say, Lizzie Borden? Definitely. Why? Why are we crazier now? What happened to us? The world got more advanced. But humans haven't changed. We're the same as we always were. But the bad guys get smarter. <laughs> Very interesting. I never heard it put that way. You know what I'm talking about? It mm. could be anything. Mm-hmm. There's always a shortcut for everything. Mm-hmm. Off the record, pirating on the, on the computer. Mm-hmm. Look, how, look how so advanced that is now. Somebody's always mm-hmm. trying to do something better the cheap way. Mm-hmm. And that means that that can be anything. The bad guys get smarter. Very interesting. Hmm. So, yeah, so I would say to your listeners who are interested in making horror movies, and anybody today can get a $2,000 camera and make a movie, have at it. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that, that's the key to a very successful script, is if you can tap into what people are really, really afraid of. I think that's why the original Nightmare was so scary, The Nightmare on Elm Street, yep. because, you know, you dreams are frightening and what if they were real that was a great concept and you know how how Wes Craven came up with that I might know but refresh my memory okay and and I'll be brief because I don't want to you know you need to get off the air I went to see um, at the Egyptian theater here in Hollywood they had um, a night where they had some great horror film directors and you could talk to them after the film and one of them was Wes Craven and somebody said well how did the idea for Freddy Krueger come up he had, Wes Craven had a buddy who came back from the Korean War, and he had what we would call post-traumatic stress syndrome, but they didn't even know what that was then. Right. He just, you know, he couldn't sleep, and every time he closed his eyes, he'd have these images, and literally he couldn't sleep. And so his parents got him some sleeping medication, and he said, "No, don't. I don't want to go to sleep because if I do, I'll die." And he did. They drugged him, and he never woke up. And Wes Craven was so haunted by that that he created this character, Freddy Krueger, who comes to you in your nightmares. But it it, it happened from real-life trauma I, from his buddy who died. I do remember that. I do remember that now. You refresh my memory. Yep. I did yeah, so that's something that really, really scared people of that generation, you know, because nobody understood. They weren't as scientific and technical as we are. And coming back from war, you had this whole generation of guys coming back from war and trying to get back into regular society. And that's where Freddy Krueger came from. So, yeah, maybe there's something today that has to do with terrorism that, you know, some kid who's listening is going to sit down and write that's going to scare the bejesus out of all of us. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, there's a... No, I mean, like, wrong turn. You heard that one, right? Yeah. No, I remember watching that movie, and that movie, you know, back in 03, 
that was my ultimate favorite movie of all time since you know back when I seen that because that was so different. I mean, it wasn't big as far as I know. That that was pretty much independent, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. So that you know, that's basically what started me in independent. But then I still slid off the, off the sliding board on the situation until this year. That's when it mm-hmm. all started. Mm-hmm. So, so did you, get, you got any new projects going on? I do. Um, I just finished a Mexican zombie film. Uh, again, kept tapping into something that's happening right now. All of the the uh, ups, ups and downs about illegal immigration, which is a big issue in California. So the idea in this film <laughs> is that. Um, uh, there are these white supremacists who grab people who look Mexican off the street and kill them and take them out into the desert and leave their bodies there at the crossing as warnings. Um, but due to a mixture of a bunch of chemicals, they come back from the dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so um, I spent a day um, half buried in the dirt and covered in pig intestines with Mexican zombies eating my, my intestines. That's by a director named Michael Emanuel. Uh, that's coming out. That's going to be soon. Uh, and I've also just been cast in a Western, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, there is a woman named Maria Olson, and if you saw the trailer for Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Lightning Thief, you saw Maria as the uh, as the uh, teacher who turns into a bat. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, Maria, she and I are starring in a film which is coming up, uh, which is going to be called Naked, although it's not a sexual film, it's a uh, monster film. And she plays an orc who lives in a cave, and it's set in the 17th century. And I'm a German settler, along with my son, and we're out to find the orc who killed my child. And it's very cold and bleak and set in the winter. Um, and that that's going to be fun, too. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's going to be fun. You get the good roles, see? And I play Louis Grizzard, too. I'm flying to Georgia on Tuesday, and I'm doing a week of Louis Grizzard there. Sweet. Yeah, absolutely. Lewis is the guy who said, uh, he said, let me tell you something about dogs. He said, a dog don't care where you've been or who you've been with or what time you come in. He's just happy to see you. There ain't a lot of women like that. <laughs> That's what he said he preferred talented. dog. You're a talented. <laughs> You're very talented. Scott, thank you. It was a real pleasure. And I would encourage people, if um, if they want to write to me, I'd really, really love to hear from fans or people who are interested in horror or movies. Because... L.A. is a really closed town, and living here, you just forget about the rest of the world. So if anybody wants to hit me up, it's BillObersJr. at gmail.com. Or if you just Google me, Bill Oberst Jr., it's O-B-E-R-S-T, that'll take you to my website, and there's a contact page. But, you know, write me. Tell me what scares you. What's going on? Are you making movies? You know, don't let me get locked into Hollywood so much I forget the rest of the world. <laughs> you got it. All right, man. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Bill Oberst, Jr. I play Dale in the film Dismal. And as Dale would say, let me tell you something. You're listening to Gruesome Herd Songs Horror Movie Review. You got Dale's word on that.